Hey, good morning, everyone. Guys, good to see you today, and uh, welcome to Fellowship of Faith, especially if you're tuning in with us for the first time or maybe joining us here in person for the first time. Just thank you so much for coming and being a part of this. My name is David Gadini, pastor here on staff at FOF. Just hope that you have a great experience this morning. More importantly than that, though, we hope really that you, you, you take a step in your walk with God here today. We believe that God is real. God is alive, God is active, and God is personal. And that God is looking to carry each of us into a storyline with him and meets us right where we're at and says, come follow me from that place. And, uh, and hopefully you hear that voice today. If we can help you navigate that voice, work through the questions that inevitably surround this whole spiritual journey, please come, come meet me afterwards. Come talk to me. Come talk to anyone who's wearing a tag that looks like they know what they're talking about, and you'll realize in 20 seconds if they do or don't, and then move on you, you know, to someone else um, if they can't help you. But guys, what I want to do this morning is I want to read you a quote. And it's an extended quote, so I'm going to ask, please stay with me in this, okay? Here's what it says. Nobody ever drifts towards the gospel. Okay, I'm going to read it again. Nobody ever drifts towards the gospel. On the contrary, self-trust is the religion of the fallen heart. It is exhibited in every religion every self-help program, and in the daily lives of all who work fervishly to climb ladders to make it to the top. Instead, God has come to the bottom, to a manger, and to a cross. That is where we find God. Not in the majesty of human works, but in the humility of the suffering servant. But we do not like this God. If we will have a God at all, he will be no more than a source of inner empowerment or a facilitator of our personal growth. It goes on. Survey after survey indicates that even those who profess to be evangelicals, the name by which Luther's followers were called, have little knowledge of this doctrine. Worse, these studies show that evangelicals are as likely as non-Christians to say that human beings are basically good and that with a little encouragement and instruction, they can gain sufficient righteousness to appear before God on the last day. Jesus has become a mascot for whatever political, social, moral, or financial cause that people have in mind. He is there to help us achieve our best life now or to become a better you. And it concludes with this line right here. This meager, indeed poisoned diet leaves disillusionment and despair in its wake. As the majority raised in evangelical backgrounds are unchurched by their sophomore year. And I just want to ask you this, and I want to challenge you with this question here today. Have you ever felt this way? Where in whatever life circumstance, a glimmer of hope has brought you to God. And in that place, be it in a church setting or through a certain program or whatever it might be, a need or a desperation or a curiosity or a hunger or whatever it might be in your life has kind of led you to this place to go after seeking God. And you come to realize that your life is not all that it should be, that there's something wrong here. 
right? There's something that's less than what it should be here. And so, in a certain sense of programming, in a certain sense of encouragement plus instruction plus some good, well-intended effort by yourself, you found yourself seeking that better life only in the end to be left in a wake of disillusionment or despair because it did not work out the way that you planned. It did not deliver what you hoped. It left you rather in a different place, feeling like maybe a failure again. And it brought in even a seed of doubt. Does this God thing even work at all? Am I buying into a false truth? Am I just too stupid to understand it? Is he even real? And I'll tell you, I don't know who that may apply to here today in this room, but in my conversations with people, I find it applies to far more people than it doesn't. That so many people, for well-intentioned reasons, go seeking after God, but they go seeking after God as though by their power they need to do something different. And in doing something different, they are finally going to achieve what they are looking for or what they've been wanting to feel or what they've pictured life is supposed to be. And in the end, it rarely, if ever, delivers. If you have ever found yourself in this place, From my experience, I think you're in good company. I think you're in good company because there is a long train of people who have, and sadly, who have often even walked away from God because their understanding of how the whole thing worked didn't play out in the end. And it's hard because I think a lot of pop Christianity is actually built on this basic principle. You'll see it in churches. You'll see it among famous authors. You'll see it in Bible study programs. You'll see it creep into every kind of corner of the Christian community where there's this equation that's put forward that says if you just surround yourself with the right people and get enough encouragement and enough instruction and meet it with enough good effort on your own, that in that place, you're going to impress God that you're going to deal with the basic issues of the human heart, that you're going to find the solution to the plight or condition or whatever you want to call it, that you kind of have within. And it gets propagated all the time. I mean, you know, it's sermon series, it's Bible studies, it's stuff like that. Five steps to have a happy marriage. Eight steps to financial betterment or success, right? Three things that you should do with your kids so that they'll be God-fearing when they grow up. Six ways to work through issue X. Seven ways to work through issue... We, we've all been down this path, haven't we? You know, I'm not, I don't want this to come out wrong. I actually find a lot of good in those types of things. There's a lot of practical wisdom to be found there, and I believe this fully, that if we were to better follow God's commands and decrees, we would, in fact, in the totality of things, have a better life. Though a lot more hardship, too. 
But the problem is, is that the way the equation sometimes gets misconstrued or shifted. And what I find is that people gain the wrong impression that by my own reason or strength, it is up to me to better my life, to somehow get in good with God or find the transformation of the heart. And I think it's based, even unwittingly, on a certain assumption that that we just kind of make that as human beings, we're generally pretty good. And that as human beings, we're generally pretty powerful and able to do things. I mean, we put people into space, right? We literally transplant hearts in human beings. We can ship something by Amazon next day anywhere in the country. We can do anything, right? And yet, it seems that when it comes to the human condition, all of our effort, all of our work, all of our reason, all of our strength, it comes up short, doesn't it? Jesus and the Bible have a very, very different way of looking at things, though. And I want you to hear this, because there is so much misconception that Christianity is about a certain spiritual self-help program, about getting yourself more moral or righteous or better or able before God and seeking that path. But there's something very, very different, very, very opposite that Jesus and the Bible has to say on the matter. And what I want to do is I want to bombard you with some verses here today. I'm just going to paint a broad stroke picture by showing you a constellation of examples here this morning at what they say in their own words, not mine. And maybe you can hear what they mean. I love this one by Jesus. Let's go here to start where he says this, I tell you the truth. And it's kind of great when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, because you're like, what were you telling me otherwise? Right? (laughs) But I tell you the truth. You know, what I kind of hear in this is like this, Listen to this one. No, no, I really mean this one. Parents, we know what this is like, right? I tell you a lot of things. No, this one, you've got to get down. I tell you the truth. No one, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the spirit. Referring to God's spirit. It's John 3, 5. You can fact check me if you like. Here's another one. It's an early follower of Jesus. His name is Paul. He wrote about about half the New Testament and he says this. And it's kind of nice. 3, 5, 3, 5. This is Titus 3, 5. He, God, God saved us. We didn't rescue ourselves. We didn't pull ourselves out of the muck. No, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's striking to me how similar that language is. Jesus says you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit. Paul comes around and says, he saved us by the washing of rebirth. Water kind of imagery again and the renewal by the spirit. This next one's even more pointed. It says this. The mind of a person is death. Do you have a mind? Do you have a mind? Sometimes it's in question, right? But let's assume. Your mind the Bible will say is death. 
But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The natural mind is hostile to God. Do you think of yourself as naturally hostile to God? The Bible does. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by their natural impulses cannot please God. But it goes on. Next slide. You, however, are controlled not by your natural self, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Say Spirit. How many times can it say Spirit, right? Are we seeing a theme? We're not done. How about this one? And this one always just kind of fits for me. Oh my gosh, this is like my biography. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the natural self. For your natural desires, for, for your nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to your nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You ever feel like that? Torn within yourself? pulled in opposite directions, bipolar of the soul, if you will. But if you are led by the Spirit, hmm, I wonder, what might that mean next? I really like this one by Jesus too that I want to show you today to round it out. He says a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. It's like Jesus is saying, you can't even worship God without the spirit of God in you and upon you. You can't even come to a place like this no matter how good the environment by me might be, no matter how moving the music might be, no matter how well-crafted the service might be, even if, you can't even do it. Yeah, you can mouth the words, but to truly worship God, you can't even worship God. You don't even have the ability to worship without the Spirit of God. You know, what is all this kind of saying? You might be able to shape your life but we are completely unable to transform our hearts or come into relationship with God by our own power, by our own reason, by our own thinking, by our own choosing, by our own strength. We are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. You and I, absolutely, completely dependent on the Spirit of God if we are to witness any kind of movement in a relationship with God or any true, real, lasting transformation of a life or of a heart. We had an opening video and it was chock full of just a sampling of passages. Let me read some of those to you again.
God says, my spirit abides among you. Do not fear. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. Jesus will say to his disciples, it will be the spirit who speaks through you in those times and those occasions when you're called to the mat for your faith. It's Peter and the prophets before him who say, I will pour out my spirit upon you. We so need the Holy Spirit. And God pours him out freely. Yet without him, we are absolutely lost, absolutely in the wrong direction, and absolutely powerless to do anything that results in real, lasting life change. There's this ancient Christian prayer. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Some of you may have known it, said it, even learned it at some point in your life. But it's based around the, the, the Trinity, so to speak. The, the idea of God being three in one, three different parts. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then it moves on. And Jesus seems to get the most airtime in this. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And it goes on, right? You know this maybe? Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, who descended into hell. The third day later, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And then there's this little throwaway line that follows it. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it just kind of like moves on, right? And the Holy Christian Church and the communion of the saints. But you know what I love? I love an explanation given by this old Augustinian monk named Martin Luther about how he described who the Holy Spirit really is, or maybe more, what the Holy Spirit does. Look at the power of this. Look at what he says. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or, or even come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me. He's enlightened me. He's sanctified and keeps me. And in the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ and the one true faith. He goes on, he says, in this Christian church, the Holy Spirit daily and fully forgives all sins to me and to all believers. Not only that, he says, on the last day, the Holy Spirit will raise me and all the dead and he'll give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. And he follows it up and says, you better believe it. This is most certainly true. If we're going to accept this as true this morning, it's crazy, it's kind of even staggering to think how much we absolutely need the Spirit of God. That we're completely unable to seek God of our own power or volition. It challenges a myth that somehow we stand in neutral ground. 
objectively weighing the facts for or against God and making some kind of rational decision towards one or the other. No, what does Romans say? The sinful mind, the natural mind, the natural inclination is hostility to God. And without the Holy Spirit working on your life, there isn't a prayer or a hope that you would ever turn to God. If you ever want to turn to God, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working on your life. And make no mistake, let the glory be his for bringing you to that place you need him. You need him to turn a heart that wants to go another way. Have you ever wanted to turn to God? Have you ever desired God or wanted to seek God? If so, you need the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wanted to be called by God? You ever have these moments, God, tell me what to do. Show me my path. Help me navigate through this, this morass of choices before me. Have you ever desired the call of God on your life or more? Have you ever desired for God to actually bring you into a certain time and place? Not just a quick decision, even a major one, but something deeper, an identity, a standing. You need the Holy Spirit. Have you ever desired enlightenment? We grope around in the fog, trying to understand God and what's behind the veil of this material world in which we live. What is the meaning of the universe? What is the meaning of the human condition? Where is this whole thing going? And what are the powers at work in this universe? Really, have you ever hungered for these kinds of things? He enlightens me. This ancient monk will say, if you've desired enlightenment, you need the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness. Have you thirsted for it? Have you thirsted for it day after day? Oh, you need the Holy Spirit. Have you thirsted for it to be fully washed away? You need him deeply. And what about life after death? Does it scare you? Does it leave you with uncertainty? You need him desperately. This little throwaway line, I believe in the Holy Spirit, is chock full of so much underlying meaning. I am convinced more and more in my life how desperately we are in need of the living Spirit of God. Because I tell you, it's easy to come to a place like this. And it's easy to come to a place like this for year after year. Engaging in a self-help program of getting enough inspiration plus enough encouragement plus enough instruction combined with enough of your own effort to lead you to think that somehow your life is going to get better as a result. I'll tell you that is a dead-end path. And Jesus invites all of us to something very, very different. He invites us to his very spirit, which we need desperately, and in which we are in complete dependence on him because it is only in that place with him that Jesus says we will ever find 
what God truly wants and what we're actually looking for. And so all this year, we're going to be sharing with you who he is, how to recognize him, how to see the effects of what he's doing, how to understand him and the very nature of God better, how to partner with him and allow him to have his way in your life and follow on his trajectory rather than one of your own effort and making. All this year, we're going to explore this. We're going to dive into it. And hopefully, my hope is that as a result, we don't find ourselves guilty, bankrupt, disillusioned, or in despair, as so many others have, to which that self-help program of personal benefit seems to always inevitably lead. And so that's where we're going. And we invite you to join that journey with us.